Three men survived a shipwreck and swam to a deserted island where they were able to find fresh water and food and they built a shelter. They were there for several weeks and one day as they were exploring the island, they saw the sun caught some, something metallic. It was half buried. They went closer and they pulled out this lamp and as they were rubbing the dirt off the lamp, a genie came out. And the genie, of course, offered them three wishes, but there was three of them, so they each only got one wish. The first man said, I miss my wife and my children and my friends so much, I wish I were home. And poof, he disappeared. The second man said, I really miss my comfortable, warm bed, eating pizza and watching football games. I wish I were home. Poof, he disappeared. Third man paused, and he he said out loud, he said, you know, it's so lonely here without my friends, I wish they were here. <laughs> so if you offered one wish to the Jews that were in exile in Babylon, you know what they would wish for? They would wish to be home. Right? The prophet Isaiah is addressing a message to those in exile, promising them that they will go home. A voice cries out to make a highway in the desert for God and that God will come to his people in their exile and he will lead them back to their homeland, the land that he had given to their ancestors, a land in which they could worship the Lord in freedom and without fear, that they could become a holy people, a people set apart for the Lord. And John the Baptist picks up this message of Isaiah. He says, prepare the way of the Lord make straight his paths. But there's a big difference between Isaiah's message and John's because John is giving this message in Israel. Right? They have come home. And so this helps us to understand there's a deeper meaning of exile. Exile is an external condition that God permits in order to awaken his people to the fact that they had already exiled him from their hearts. It's an external condition that helps people to see that they had already drifted far from the Lord. So it's not first a problem of physical distance, but rather a problem of spiritual distance caused by sin. Maybe you've heard the saying that if God seems far away, guess who moved? Alexander Solzhenitsyn, he was a Russian writer, and he was imprisoned in the harsh labor camps of the Soviet Union, and then he was exiled. As a young man, he was a Marxist. He believed in Marxist ideology. But during his imprisonment, he converted to Christianity. And he realized that only religion addresses the real problems underneath every social problem. And that is the problem of the human heart. Solzhenitsyn wrote this. Gradually it was disclosed to me that the line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart and through all human hearts. There's a great distance that must be overcome if people are to receive salvation in the fullness of life. And so John the Baptist is preaching repentance, asking people to turn away from their sins, to turn back to God. And he baptizes them in the Jordan River as a sign 
of their sorrow for their sins and their willingness to change. But the mere decision to repent is not itself salvation. So John says, I have baptized you with water, but he, meaning the coming Messiah, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John prepares Israel for a Savior, but he is not the Savior. Jesus is the Savior who bridges the gap between God and man. John says, repent. Jesus says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news. Jesus came to baptize with the Holy Spirit to turn our stony hearts into hearts of flesh. And Jesus continues to do that through his church, especially through the sacraments of baptism and confirmation. He baptizes them in the Holy Spirit. But there is a problem with that as well, because many people who receive the sacraments do so without repenting or believing. Often they are baptized as infants. The hope is, of course, that they are raised by their parents in the faith and that when they become old enough, they will themselves repent and accept Jesus as Lord. But oftentimes that doesn't happen. And so the grace that they receive in the sacraments remains unopened and unfruitful. Or perhaps there are people who have, in fact, accepted Jesus as Lord, but later they become lukewarm. And for them, religion becomes going through the motions. And so oftentimes we have to again meet John the Baptist so that we can encounter Jesus anew. And John, even though he was in Israel, he still imposed upon himself a kind of exile. Right? He wasn't in the cities or towns even. Where was he? John went to the desert. He subsisted in wild honey and locusts. He isolated himself from the distractions of civilization so that he could better hear the Lord. And people went to the desert. They were drawn to him. They heard they wanted to hear his preaching. The desert is stark and the desert is humbling. John's going into the desert reminded the people of the 39 years that Israel spent sojourning through the wilderness. Remember after they were freed from slavery, after all the things God did for them in the Exodus, right? The ten plagues, the parting of the Red Sea. They were supposed to go directly to the Holy Land, but they were afraid. And so God has them wandering for 39 years in the desert until they learn to trust Him. And then when they did, God raises up Joshua. And by the way, Joshua and Jesus are the same name. They mean God saves. And Joshua leads the people into the promised land. Some centuries after Jesus, as Christianity began to spread, there are many who uh, realized they couldn't really be close to Jesus amid the uh, worldliness of urban life. And so they went out to live full time in the wilderness. One of the most famous of these was St. Anthony of Egypt, who lived this life of a hermit. And like John the Baptist, people would come to him for his prayers and for his advice. Uh, later, St. Benedict of Nursia imitated that. And this, was the, this was the establishment of you know, kind of a monastic vocation, a monastic way of following Jesus. 
And we think, well, they're just going there to escape the rigors of, of life. Or the, but, but really, the, the desert became for them um, a place of a profound and bracing confrontation with all the ways that sin subtly infiltrates the soul. So according to the Bible and Christian tradition, the desert is a place of purification. The desert is where we find the highway of God so that we can be transformed. Now most, most Catholics aren't called to be hermits or monks, but I think all of us are called to make some journey into the desert to encounter God more fully. So that may take the form of a retreat. You know, you could, even, even if you're not going on an organized retreat, you can maybe hang out with the uh, Benedictine monks at Prince of Peace Abbey and pray the office with them and be with them in their silence. You could go out regularly for hikes or walks. Every day, all of us should be setting aside time for quiet prayer. All of us, at least 15 minutes a day. And put away our devices. I think we're afraid of silence. There was a mini trend on TikTok recently, a trend uh, called silent walking, started by an influencer named Maddie. Her nutritionist recommended that Maddie walk for 30 minutes a day, and Maddie's boyfriend challenged her to do it without her AirPods. And so she says she did it. And for the first few minutes, she says she was filled with anxiety. I mean, she had been so used to constantly having visual or auditory stimuli. But then she says she was able to think more deeply and clearly. And so I'm going to quote her here. She said, the universe and your intuition comes to you through whispers. So if you're never alone with your thoughts, and you never get quiet, you're going to miss the whispers. She's almost there. <laughs> she just has to substitute the universe, uh, substitute God for the universe, and she'll, she'll be much closer, right? I think we immerse ourselves in constant distractions for different reasons, perhaps. There's a part of us that's afraid to face the bigger questions of life. Who am I? Who is God? And what is God asking of me? Maybe you don't spend the time in silence because you say, well, you know, I have people who depend on me and I should be serving them and I can't be selfish in taking time for myself. And I don't think, although that sounds good, it sounds like you're caring about others, I don't think that's very prudent. One of the best things you can do for the people who depend on you in your life is to take time for silent prayer. It makes you a much better person, better equipped to serve others. So, John the Baptist, let us go with him as he leads us on this Advent journey to Christmas. Prepare the way of the Lord.